Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show itself. Nolan is back, of course, joining me this week um, on here for episode 144. I struggle to figure out exactly how to say it. Do you say 800 or 100? It all gets very confusing once we get to silly numbers like we're on right now. But I am excited to talk about this movie today, Nolan, because it feels like ages and ages and ages since we've talked a movie like this. And, if I'm not mistaken, it's actually technically the first of its kind we've talked in the show's history, I think. Should I just get us right into it? Get Strap yourselves in, audience, because today we're getting hammered. We are. We are. Have we ever talked about a Hammer movie or a, or a Hammer horror movie on It's a Wonderful Podcast before? I don't think we have. Not in, not in the traditional sense, anyway. No, I kind of put off talking about them because I wanted there to be that right moment where I was in the mood to just discover Hammer horror and it'd be like when I'm discovering Universal Monsters when we first met. Yeah. You, we, and, uh, we've we've moved on the to 50... the next generation of these monsters now, have we? Yeah, the in the fifty second lockdown, I figured that was the right <laughs> time. Well, how come? What 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 made you start feeling Hammer movies lately? Um. Well, I'm kind of more interested in looking at movies where it's more focused on like gore and frightening and things like that. Yeah. Because I've recently been watching the Evil Dead movies. Brilliant. And I'm just in the mood for that sort of thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Look, they are obviously the the, the early Hammer horror movies. Obviously the, the kind of remakes of the, the older Universal monster movies. Obviously brought over to, to Britain. Um, eventually, just before this movie we're talking about today, actually, which is 1959's The Mummy. Um, with all the usual people, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, all the good stuff you expect from Hammer. Um, you know, Terence Fisher directing it, Michael Carreras producing it, Jimmy Sangster writing it. It's everybody there that you want um, in 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 an early Hammer movie. Um, but obviously they are British, which is nice. But the main thing to, to remember with Hammer is obviously they are not just re- they are remaking the Universal monster movies uh, and their monsters for a new generation, but also in a much more daring way because the, there's obviously the kind of not not I don't know what word I don't know what word to use. There's the the significance of of bright technical movies obviously in the 50s that uh, the 50s are kind of well known for let's bring that into horror let's paint all the blood bright red and just make everything super gory super sexy and super provocative as opposed to you know what the original universal monster movies were which were very moody atmospheric uh, pieces rather than the lavish kind of, like I said, provocative, almost, movies that you got with Hammer. Uh, well, I think for now I do prefer the atmospheric and tonal things of the original Universal Monster movies, but really what I'm just expecting with Hammer Horror is I'm going to watch these and have some fun. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I don't look. I think that's 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 a great way of going into it. Before we get into the kind of uh, main discussion of this episode, I will recommend um, a documentary on Hammer. It's called Flesh and Blood. Um, it's like Flesh and Blood: A History of Hammer Horror or something like that. But it's a really good documentary. It's narrated by Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. It just takes you through the whole life of Hammer films Is it on from Prime? the very very start and. They're making like the Quatermass movies and that kind of stuff up to the peak of their horror and uh, and and beyond there. Is that on Prime? I believe it is on Prime. 
I've I've been watching a fair few documentaries on Prime recently. So so yeah, you should watch that. Other people should watch that as well if they really want to get um, studied up on Hammer Horror because it's 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 a fascinating period in kind Is of. Is there horror. like? Has like is every Universal monster film kind of upgraded in Hammer Horror? Like, is there an Invisible Man Hammer Horror? I mean, I can't imagine that being bloody. It's it's easy to think that you could they're they're kind of two different versions of the same thing. They're not two different versions of the same thing. They're basically just readaptations. I think calling them remakes is a different thing because it's not like. It's not like, for example, okay, Hammer Horror, mainstream Hammer Horror started with Curse of Frankenstein in 1957. Curse of Frankenstein from 1957 has virtually no no resemblance whatsoever to 1931 Universal Boris Karloff Frankenstein. It's just a readaptation of that Frankenstein story. It's totally different. Likewise with Horror of Dracula, it's completely different to Bela Lugosi's Dracula, and this one we're talking about today, this The Mummy, is incredibly different to Boris Karloff's The Mummy. Um, obviously, The Mummy is one on its own because it's not got really got that source material like the other two major ones have, but there's no, like, Hammer Creature from the Black Lagoon or Hammer version of... Um, Invisible Man, I don't think there's a Hammer version of Invisible Man, unless I'm forgetting something drastic, but I really don't think there is. Um, but there's all sorts of other wacky Hammer stuff, like Hammer started mainly in sci-fi, um, rather than outright horror. It was this the kind of realistic British sci-fi um, that preceded Doctor Who and all that kind of stuff, because Doctor Who obviously came out in the early 60s originally and like Quatermass and that kind of stuff was the 50s. Um, that's where Hammer moulded itself first off before it decided to delve into horror, and I think that's the fact that we all remember Hammer for horror now is really important because that's where it hit its peak as a, as a production company in, in the kind of late 50s and early 60s when it was cranking out all these great mystery horror movies. Peter Cushing, I think, would have made a good Doctor. Peter Cushing did play Doctor Who in, a, in I think, a TV movie in the 60s. Um, okay, well, there you go, then. I could see him being either I've... the Doctor or the Master. He's that kind of actor. Yeah, I. it, it wasn't an official thing. From what I can remember, I'm not too clued up on the early days of Doctor Who, to be honest. But I know that Peter Cushing did play the Doctor or Doctor Who in in a kind of off-brand version. You know, like Bond had Never Say Never Again that was off-brand Bond. Um, Yeah, David Nevin. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. Um, I think Peter Cushing's... Doctor Who. It's not like the actual TV movie from like the, from the nineties with whatever his name is, Paul McGann. That's an actual Doctor Who that is canon canonically accurate. Um, it's just kind of it's off brand, knock off Doctor Who, but we all love Peter Cushing anyway. Uh-huh. Well, I really dug this movie, and. I was afraid I wasn't going to because you know how stubborn I am when it comes to adaptations of mummy movies. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. And I know you really like, obviously, the 32 version, the Karloff version. Um, yes. So I'm happy that you liked this one as well because there is a lot of differences there. Yes, but it does not turn the story into an action movie, which, I mean, I guess the time period kind of delays that, but... Even though I do prefer the sort of gothic romance fantasy, that is carried on into this one, but it is set up more like a murder mystery. This is like Inspector yeah. Calls, but with a mummy. Yeah. It's it's way more murder mystery than it is romance. Like you said, it does have the, the romance element and the kind of um, the mummy coming 
to life to to almost but he's not seeking out his uh he's not like seeking out his reincarnated princess like Boris Karloff is it's more of a case of his princess has been or it's the tomb isn't it it's a whole commentary on the the dangers of going into somebody else's home and digging away yes. at all their items and taking them back home aren't we yes, evil as british people essentially yes we are you know, i figured that's kind of the that's like the political side of what mummies are i i mentioned this on twitter last year like because i was confused is there was there any real difference between zombies and mummies because if you think about it like on a physical stance mummies are just zombies wrapped in bandages yeah however but story-wise zombies the best ones are often used to tell like stories of what the time is politically like night of the living dead has that Dawn of the dead has that even Shaun of the dead has that to an extent yeah and but but mummies are more about like colonialism and like people going into places they don't belong and trying to steal their treasures and stuff. So exactly. I like that that's carried on into this, but sort of neither party is right because you have these obviously the guys just digging around in the tomb because they want it for research or whatever, not really caring that. But then you also have the other guy who I believe he's Egyptian using him yeah. as kind of a vessel for murder. So neither party is really 100% in the right? No, which is is interesting, although I I do actually, even though Peter Cushing's always nice and heroic in these movies, I do tend to side with, um, I forget his name actually, he wears a fez in the movie. Um, he's got a mustache. I, I had to look that up and had to make sure it wasn't Christopher Lee in Brownface, because this is an era where that could have been possible. Well, I mean, there's a, admittedly there's a little bit of that in these in those flashbacks, these kind of those kind of lengthy flashbacks where Christopher Lee's playing the high priest, um, and that kind of stuff. Who who actually uh, is is present for all the ceremonies of of the mummification of the princess Anatka or Ananka? Or I can't remember the exact name. Um, there might be a little bit of that going on, but it's Christopher Lee and he gets a chance to obviously use his voice, which he doesn't throughout the rest of the movie because he's wrapped in bandages and he gets his tongue cut out. So he can't use his voice there, so he just has to use his famous, wonderful voice um, in, in these kind of quite lengthy flashback things. And I like that we get flashback things in this movie because we get the flashback uh, scenes in Boris Karloff's version as well um, that... I'm feel... pretty sure every mummy movie has flashbacks. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't not have really. You've got to go back to the original ancient Egyptian time at some point in a mummy movie. It's only reasonable to do that. Um but look, I I, I do like how there is such a, a stark difference with this one. But it isn't such a such a difference that undermines the central kind of themes that a mummy movie should have in it, which are obviously, if you go and steal things from my tomb that were never meant to be taken, I'm going to murder you. You shouldn't be doing that. There's a little bit of fear going on there. And look, this is a British-made thing, so we have to incorporate that kind of... British guilt, British imperial guilt of going to other places, taking their nice historical things, bringing them back to the British Museum. And yes, sure, the British Museum's very interesting, but it's a lot of stolen items, isn't it, really? It's pretty much 100% that. Like, if you were to do an adventure movie nowadays, and I believe there is one like this coming out on Netflix later this month, I'm not sure you could sell the kind of Indiana Jones going to steal an artifact from another thing and bringing it back to a museum plot now. I'm sure I said this recently about Indiana Jones as well. Look, I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones, obviously. But um, his whole it belongs in a museum angle, I, I just completely disagree with in every aspect. Like, no, no Indiana Jones. It belongs where you've br- where you've taken it from. That's where it belongs. That's where it's been for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. 
So leave it be. That's the kind of yeah. that, that's the angle that this movie's going with, isn't it? And the Egyptian guy, who's obviously the the kind of uh, worshipper still of, of the of god, Harris the mummy, exactly. Um, and the 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 old ancient Egyptian gods, of course, he still worships those, and he's the one who entirely believes that no, this these are Egyptian artifacts; they belong in the tombs where they were meant to be for all time. That's why there's all these protections on them. That's why there's a little bit of spiritual magicalness on them. Leave them there. I'm warning you now, because he does warn them. He warns the archaeologists and the researchers and the scientists, Peter Cushing included, you know, don't go in there, otherwise there will be consequences. And obviously there's consequences when big hulking... Christopher Lee comes out and starts strangling people and stomping around and emerging from a bog and doing all kinds of weirdness. I feel like this version of The Mummy definitely influenced how the Brendan Fraser one would look. It, it's that? got that kind of... Because the way this mummy looks, I mean... I've, I've been looking at costume design recently and like what it can add to a story... I do believe the Karloff mummy has a more interesting look about him. Like, it's kind of graying, but he's very regal and yeah. very, like... Like, you look at that and you say, that's a person of power. This mummy is yeah. a rotting monster. It's it's the most simple kind of colour palette. It's wrapped in all these decaying bandages. It is more horrifying, admittedly. And I do feel... Probably the the Brendan Fraser ones might have taken inspiration from both of them because surely you do see at the start he that mummy looks all fucked up and like monstrous and everything and bandagey, but then slowly regains his kind of regal look. So it's kind of paying tribute to both of it. Yeah, you do still get you you know you do still get an air of of regality from the character that Christopher Carus you know the character that Christopher Lee's actually playing in this movie. In those flashback scenes, because he's very kind of, um, you know, all pomp and circumstance and all that kind of stuff, isn't he, in those flashback scenes? But like you said, obviously, the actual central monster is totally different. The The central monster in this movie is mainly the bandage-wrapped mummy, whereas we think in the original 1932 Karloff mummy, he's only ever in bandages for that first little opening scene that we barely see him in anyway. And we just get, you know, the the one dude laughing hysterically because he's gone mad from seeing Boris Karloff's mummy walk out of the room. But in in this, it's completely different because you get a, you do get a scene like that in this movie where Peter Cushing's dad, who ends up in a kind of, I mean, I, they call it a nursing home, but it's kind of more of an asylum. It's kind of a, a pleasant asylum. If there's a way of phrasing so a nursing that home. properly, but well, possibly depending on what, depending on what you think about. I've seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I know what that's like. Well, true. Depending, you know, I'm sure there are many different forms of these places. I'm sure there are. And I know there are. But yes, you're not wrong. Um, but he's the one that kind of goes mad from seeing Christopher Lee's a live mummy in the first place because he reads off this ancient scroll which is never a good idea to be fair is it don't read off ancient scrolls like you've just watched the evil dead you've just said you don't read off ancient books you don't do it it causes chaos nah and even when the person in the evil dead movie says yeah maybe we shouldn't look at the big scary books somehow someone always does obviously obviously they do yes you have to and it makes it fun. But I do like how we actually... Oh, we, we open the movie in a very, very similar way, really. It's a bit more lengthy. But you do have that scene off-camera of um, Peter Cushing's dad in the movie. Con you know, being confronted by the mummy and you just hear the scream. Which is similar to what you see in Boris Karloff's original The Mummy. But then we go back to it later on. Um, and you actually see kind of like the full scene play out, 
which is fun. I like how we see that because it's, again, it's the the shock factor that Hammer brings that was, wasn't was there in horror movies previously. Um, no, they were more artistic pioneering back then. Shock. Exactly. Well, art is subjective, Nolan. You know, it, it, it's, it's more... Moody and atmospheric. We'll say that. I do like. I do like to say atmospheric because it's because it it you know kind of invokes a not necessarily slower but just a a steadier kind of let's sit in here and see what's going to happen rather than shove things in your face, which is what Hammer likes to do. Whether it's you know painted red blood, spears going through people, gunshots, or scantily clad women that's what hammer like to do and it's it's shock value and it kind of owns it exactly they're the pioneers of shock horror but at least they know that and they embrace that i'd rather have it be like you're you're embracing what you are rather than doing shock value and pretending for some reason that you're trying to be pretentious and artistic about yeah. it and yeah I, I, well, like, I, like I feel, I feel that's what Darren Aronofsky kind of does. Yes, a little bit, a little bit. Even though I do like, I do like some Aronofsky movies, admittedly. But the, the, there's a touch, there is definitely a touch of that about him. And I should say as well, Hammer pioneering the mainstream shock horror, because God knows what other people in wacky countries were doing decades before we know what they were doing shocking movies obviously look at i mean for god's sake the silent silent horror movies were shocking movies of the 30s were shocking but there is a a a new level to the shock factor of horror movies once hammer gets involved because they just go all out gung-ho for it and use color to their massive advantage and because they're being Made in Britain, they have a slightly different censorship model, so it's allowed to be a little bit more lenient on what's being shown and what we and what we see and the kind of stuff we're dealing with, which is always good as well. It's it's more free, better. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that works in this movie's favor because when that scene where his father does see the mummy and you see it like full on in your face. Yeah, I would yeah. probably react that way. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's it terrifying. is scary. And look, in the two if years before... If that was before, Boris Karloff's money, I don't think the reaction would have been the same, but it would probably have been, oh, hello, how are you? Well, exactly, Boris Karloff would have been using his delightful little lisp that he had um, and, and just trying to low-key intimidate people rather than using brute force. This has always been... The main difference between, or the main difference once you have Christopher Lee in there, because Christopher Lee makes these characters of Frankenstein's monster, of Dracula, of the mummy, and every other fool he plays have brute power. That Karloff, Karloff has big presence, but you never, even with Frankenstein, the best things about Frankenstein's monster from Karloff are his quieter moments, his more sympathetic moments, and Karloff does that obviously very, very well. But the best thing about, like, Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee virtually has no sympathetic moments as any of these characters. He's absolute brute force carnage stations. Even his Dracula, his Dracula's throwing people around all over the place and biting people left, right and centre. Lugosi wouldn't dream of doing that sort of stuff. Lugosi's far too calm and charismatic and low-key about it. Christopher Lee doesn't care. He's got all that, but he's also got power, and that's forceful physical power. Um, Likewise, in The Mummy, we see, obviously, there's a lot of forceful physical power there. Like in The Curse of Frankenstein, you also see there's force and physical power there. Um... Which has helped create this image of Christopher Lee as just the the a very very powerful villain actor anyway, because he's always had that from the start. He's very good at playing 
He's very good at playing very aristocratic people, sure. But he's also very, very good at playing incredibly physically powerful characters. Mm-hmm. Because For his sure. presence just helps that. And his, his acting style, especially in his early years, just helps that. Because he's massive. Uh, and you do see a lot, like, I love actors who act with their eyes. Yeah. And pretty much that's, like, the only body part you really see of Christopher Lee in this. It is. And it is. It's just, like, maybe that kind of gives the advantage for uh, this character, this mummy being, like, one color. Is that the only part that really feels alive about him is his eyes. Yeah. It does. It does. Like I said, there's just such a... There's such a a big difference there it's it's difficult to compare to be honest i mean the movies themselves if you're looking at the older mummy movie and this mummy movie uh aren't very very difficult to compare because they are so different this mummy movie the hammer's mummy has way more in common with the original mummy sequels you know like the mummy's hand and the curse of the mummy's tomb and all that sort of stuff it's got way more in common with those than it has with Vincent Price was Vincent Price in those Vincent Price I know was in The Invisible Man Returns that that might be it I I know he was in the sequel to Universal Monsters franchise I just wasn't sure which one he was in The Invisible Man Returns that's what he was in very early very early Vincent Price horror movie Um, but yeah it's there's there's a a big difference there, but it's a a positive difference. And like you said, it, it would be it would feel wrong for it to be trying to uh, produce the same kind of movie because what Hammer were going for were, was a completely different thing. It was almost a kind of movie making factory, which is uh-huh. I, I suppose what the studio system was like in Hollywood anyway. But you hear about the smaller British studios making movies like a factory and kind of churning them out on reused sets and that kind of stuff. And it gives you this... It gives you the impression of real impressive creativity under very, very unfortunate not unfortunate circumstances but kind of difficult circumstances because there's way less money involved in a british production of that time than in a hollywood production of course there's way less money involved so they're having to reuse sets in this movie from previous hammer movies you wouldn't know that because they just do it well and integrate it well but that's exactly what they were doing. Like I said, any documentary you find on Hammer or any sort of book you might find on Hammer is just gonna give you more. It's gonna it's gonna make you more kind of what well, what's the word I'm looking for? Impressed, I suppose, by them as a company. For sure. I, I think me and you are kind of in a similar boat on this, where I prefer the way movies look when they're shot on sets rather than in like yeah. live action or locations. Yeah. I, I think I, we had, I had this discussion with Janine, actually, last week, because we were doing The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and there's nothing about The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad that remotely looks real. Obviously, it's a Harryhausen movie. But this is what I, I love... I remember bringing up The Wizard of Oz and how you can tell sometimes in The Wizard of Oz actually where the back wall ends. The painted back wall ends because you can see the little bottom of it sometimes. Right where the set Mm -hmm. ends and the back painted wall ends. And it just makes it feel... Ah, it makes me feel warm inside. It makes my heart swell up just to know that this is a movie. This is a movie. I'm watching a movie. I love knowing I'm watching movies, Nolan. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I you love... compare that to what uh, Oz looks like in the 2013 thing with James Franco. Like, sure, it looks beautiful and that, but you can tell it's CGI, and somehow that doesn't bring me in as much as a well-painted set. No, it's because it's not real. 
Yeah. And you can always tell. You can always tell if something is not physically there. It can be the most integrated CG possible. It can be Avengers-level CG or, you know, the, the most impressive possible CG, which, to be honest, I think is probably, at this point, something like Thanos, isn't it? Which really is the most impressive integrated CG. In I would say Planet of the Apes. Or Planet of the Apes or something like that, yes. Uh, but you can tell it's not real. And obviously, because there isn't a huge, massive purple creature that we know of in existence not, not, that you can tell not it's not yet. real. But not yet. But the integration... He'll be running for president in four years, oh, I reckon. God. Um, <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Um, but you can tell something like that isn't actually there interacting with the actors and with the yeah, with the things sure. on set when it's a when it's an actual physical set or, or painted even you can, it's there it's actually being filmed and it there's a real kind of I, I i just love knowing that what has been shot on the camera was actually there rather than it just all being added afterwards because it sure it looks beautiful but it doesn't feel as much like a movie and i mm -hmm. just like that feeling people have drastically different opinions on this obviously and the fact that cg can look a hell of a lot better than some practical effects obviously but i'll always love practical effects and practical sets and that sort of stuff because it is it is actually what is being filmed by the camera. It might have something to do with lighting for me and that kind of stuff that the lighting actually feels like it's real light as opposed to generated light that has come from where a computer, you know, it's, it's not real. Maybe it's my eyes. I don't know, but I will always love knowing that whatever the movie is. I will. Uh, something I uh, I noticed quickly, and I don't know if this is going to become a hammer trope. Maybe you can tell me this. Peter Cushing's character, I believe, is injured, right? He has like a a sore leg. He does have a sore leg. Yes. Is that going to become like a hammer trope? Like there's going to be like injured protagonists? Uh, no, no. It because... felt kind of like that. No, I, I look Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing, look. Peter Cushing is always the hero. Christopher Lee's always the villain. That's just how it works. That is, and then that's kind of funny considering what Peter Cushing is probably most known for to today's movie audience. It is. It is funny. But I would hope more people know Peter Cushing for all his work with Hammer, which is it's fun. It's fun when Peter Cushing actually switches it up and becomes more menacing and becomes a little bit of a villain. In some of the later movies, because it kind of takes you off guard and it's really effective. It's really effective. But Peter Cushing's always Van Helsing. Peter Cushing's always Doctor Frankenstein. Um, to Christopher Lee's Dracula or to Christopher Lee's monster. Um, but his Doctor Frankenstein is very, very unlikable. Um, his Van Helsing is incredibly heroic. And, like, it's unbelievable. Like, he played Van Helsing more than he played anything else. And more than anyone else will ever play any sort of Van Helsing. Um, he was incredibly heroic as Van Helsing. He was a superhero as Van Helsing, to be honest with you. Um, That's but, getting me more excited to check out these movies, to be honest. Yeah, but there's no... There's no kind of recurring injury-stricken protagonist, I, I would say. Although it's an interesting thought. Why can't we have some sort of franchise where every protagonist has some sort of injury that sets them back? Well, maybe we do have that. Maybe we do have that, but it's but it's an internal because Holly, injury. Because Hollywood hates disabled people, Morgan. That's a bold statement. <laughs> is it, tr is it yeah. true? Who knows? It's not true if you talk to M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan, big fan of elevating 
disabled people to to people I'll admit it's with getting special better abilities. in horror casting uh, disabled actors in like horror lately like i can the most recent one i can think of is like a quiet place yeah yeah, yeah. I, I would like to see more of that because it does bring because like they've been kind of forced out of hollywood for such a long time just because of the way hollywood was and you do bring them in and they have interesting stories and new perspectives and everything oh, and, like the... bring that in exactly it's the case with so many things and, and we are moving we are moving to to a a movie industry where these things are kind of more uh, or, or becoming are becoming more prevalent. Obviously, there is still a hell of a long way to go, but it's nice that the journey has started on that front for sure. And and it's it's it's, it's always going to be nice that that has started. Um, not that that's the case with 1959's The Mummy, Peter Cushing just mm. happens to have a broken leg. Yeah. Or his character uh, does. I don't, I don't envy him after breaking an ankle. No, I bet you don't. I bet you, at least you let it set properly and you're not walking around for the rest of your life with a horrible limp. Yes. Well, the thing that I kind of love about this is that Whilst the mummy in this is more horrifying, they don't forget the sort of tragicness of the character. Oh, I'd love you to get into that. And that's something that kind of comes into line more of the end. It's kind of a beautiful, poetic way of ending this mummy's journey. So he sees, like, I believe it's Peter Cushing's wife or, like, girlfriend or something. Mm -hmm. Who, you know, reincarnation of the lover or just looks like the lover or whatever. Falls in love and then but still is kind of just seen as this monster and dies taking the scroll with him, like, back underground. Like, dying in a... It looked like a marshland or something like that. Yeah, it's it's the same kind of bog that he rose from in the first place. Originally. Yeah, it's... There's something beautiful about that, like, sort of dying and taking, essentially, life with you. Yeah, because that's what it is, isn't it? It's the scroll of life, the scroll that brings life to him. There's no way of him coming back to life now, unless you look at all the sequels, you know, because there's obviously 17,000 of them. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, they always find a way to do that. That's, that's a do. horror trope. Of course they do. Even um, They can be ridiculous, you know, Chucky's blood going over a vat of molten plastic and creating a new doll. That happened yeah. in a movie. Yeah, you find a way. You find a way, and nobody's bothered. Nobody's bothered. No, no they one. just you just buy it. I miss this genre of horror where you just you have horrifying things, magical things, and you just kind of go along with it. You don't need a thirty-minute exposition scene explaining everything to an audience. No, you don't. And at you all. certainly don't have the ten things you might have missed video regarding one scene or a teaser trailer or a TV spot. Why do I feel like? Um, why do I feel movies like movies are over-explained now, man? I just yeah. fucking hate it. Do, do you, have you been seeing too many, too many articles about seventeen things you may have missed in the first two episodes of WandaVision? Have you been seeing too oh, many I wish articles? It was, I wish it was the first two episodes, the first five minutes, first five, the minutes. title sequence. Oh, just like, oh, did you know the title sequence looks like Bewitched? Of course, I fucking know that. <laughs> <laughs> These people have to make their money, Nolan. Don't hate on the writers. Don't no, hate. I just hate. I I hate what the industry has turned into for these people to make their money. I know. If they were making their money off thoughtful like stuff, writing about the movies and everything, that I'd be fine with that. But it's just it, it bugs me. It's been annoying me for years. It, it it is. It is. It's an it's a slightly annoying trend, an admittedly helpful trend, but a slightly annoying trend. But we do like full in depth analysis of anything anyway don't we and look this show is a celebration of of fun things and we like to give love to these older movies of course that's what it's a wonderful podcast is about there's deep analysis sometimes but not all the time on this show and look with a shock horror movie from hammer called the mummy from 1959 there ain't gonna be much deep analysis going on it's a simple story about the evils of colonialism and taking what isn't ours and bringing it back to our museum when it doesn't belong there. 
It's a little bit like um, what Killmonger, Black Panther, doesn't like the fact that yeah. people are taking Wakandan uh, artifacts back, does he? Doesn't like that at all, and he's perfectly right to not like that doesn't, at all. Doesn't like that Wakanda is just ignoring all the other problems in the world. No, he doesn't. He doesn't like that either. Um, but it, it is a really good villain. Very good villain. It is a uh, Brit Brit Britain. Britain doesn't teach its young people enough about the true, actually evilness of the Empire. And I don't mean the Star Wars Empire. I don't mean that Empire that Peter Cushing was also involved in. Not that Peter Cushing was directly involved in the British Empire, but in his this movies sometimes, This is why I'm sometimes, glad yes. I never took history in, uh, in school, because it, it wasn't that I knew that they would just be teaching me a watered-down version of history. It's just that every... I, I don't know if this is a thing. Like Everyone I knew who took history has somehow turned out to be a little bit racist or pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I love that. What a fantastic quote. Can we get that on a t-shirt, please? Everybody that I know that studied history has turned out racist. Why is that? Why is that? Because we've all because been taught that Britain is great at everything when actually... who really is isn't. history written by? Sir? Well, exactly. Who's the history written by? The victors. It isn't. Why did why 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 did Britain own a third of the world? Because you've killed so many people and took over so many lands that just weren't yours and you didn't need, but you just wanted because you were greedy. And look, you can watch as many imperial based movies as you want that are, you know, set in India or in South Africa or wherever they may be set, and some of them might be very, very good. You think of a movie like Zulu or something like that, and sure, it's a really good movie, but it's a little bit kind of, yay, Britain, we're great, imperialistic. Um, kind of propaganda-y, isn't it? A little bit, just a little bit, but also, which is why we like movies like The Mummy, whereas at least it it, it, it deals with... Or at least, at least, it directly states that what you're doing is wrong. You should not be taking these artifacts from where they were buried thousands of years ago by the people that lived here to be kept for all time. You just should not be removing them for your own profit. You shouldn't be doing that. So, in order to make you realise that you shouldn't be doing that, we're going to set a big mummy on you. And I know that's not real... But it's the idea that should yeah. be celebrated, to be honest with you. I completely root for Christopher Lee in this movie entirely. I'm very sad when he gets shot with an arrow through his chest. Um, it's, 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 it's unpleasant. I mean, it's fun. It's nice. It's, yay, hammer. But also, let's realise that Britain is a very, very evil place. <laughs> Yeah. Historically. Historically. And to a point currently. And also forever. Not everybody, <laughs> but, you know, like, just generally. Just uh, generally. This, is... this leads I'm... me on to another point I wanted to make through this. I just think. I'll let you finish I just think your every... thought there. I was just going to say one last thing. I just think everybody, who, no matter where they're from, should first be taught the evils of their country rather than the successes. Because it gives them perspective. Agreed with that. So uh, yes, now, moving no on to this. Turn. <laughs> I think for final thoughts on this, I'll just say it's a really fun movie that deal that shows the colonialism side of the mummy a little bit more than I think the uh, the Karloff one did. Yeah, it takes it in a new direction. It does a new thing with it. It's fun. It's scary. The performances are great. However, it got me thinking. Uh, there hasn't been a mummy movie I've liked since maybe 1999. Yeah. And I I'll give the Brendan Fraser first one props. It's a fine, fun adventure movie. It's not terrible. It's okay. I just have my preferences. Yeah. However, 
for the new era of horror, which I'm going to call the Blumhouse era. Okay. So we'll have, like, the Universal era, the Hammer era, and the Blumhouse era. Okay, okay. For what they do with the mummy, you know what? I've I've loved Clive Barker's take on the mummy, but I say go even further. Make the mummy the protagonist. Like, oh, yeah. Brought, like, have something where he's brought back to a museum by a bunch of imperialist dickheads running a museum, and the entire movie is just, like, die hard with the mummy trying to escape, <laughs> killing all these guys along the way. But you're completely rooting for him. Yeah, make the mummy the the hero. Yeah, I think that that's not been done before in a mummy movie. I don't think it's no, always that... been the antagonist. Well, yes, because it, it kind of it's always made sense to make the quote unquote monster the antagonist, hasn't it? That that's always made sense in the history of horror. But to flip it, to flip it would be very interesting, and I, I'd be I'd be down for something like that. I think that's the only way you could do it now. I like that. Whether they, look, whether they're going to do something like that, who knows? Because frankly, I haven't heard a peep about what's happening with any sort of other old uh, Universal-based monster since last year's The Invisible Man came out. I haven't heard a whisper about what may be. Do you happening. want to hear a whisper? Because there's a very has exciting the, one happening. Has there been whispers? Well, it's kind of confirmation. Lee Winnell's doing The Wolfman with Ryan Gosling. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Forgot about that one. Uh, Karen Kasuma, who did Jennifer's Body, is doing Dracula. When did all this news come out that I've forgotten about? Last summer, I think she was confirmed. That was when movies didn't exist, Nolan. Why would I pay attention? (laughs) Why would I pay attention to when movies didn't exist? Um... Do movies still exist? Movies exist now, I suppose, don't they? There is actually new movies coming out. Yes, movies do streaming exist on again. HBO Max. Yeah, movies do exist again. Yay! Um, that's fun. Yes, that's true. I forgot about that. Um, so fair, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Do we know when they are supposed to be? Happening? I don't. I don't know. I've not heard any word of filming on them yet. I just know Ryan okay. Gosling is going to be in The Wolfman, and apparently, it's going to be kind of. Nightcrawlery about a TV news anchor sounds kind of like the howling, but uh, okay, we'll see. That could we be fun. See. We will see. I have no idea well, what Karen Kasuma's just... Dracula is going to be, but I assume based on Jennifer's body and her other movies, it's going to have a more feminist take on the material. Maybe you'll even cast a nothing wrong with that actor as Dracula. No, nothing wrong with that. I always like. I always like go full circle and make movies. Megan Fox. Hey, go full circle and make Megan Fox Dracula. She was good in Jennifer's body. Choice that would be an incredibly bold choice. I would be, I I would be excited about the boldness of it. To be honest, Nolan, more than anything else, which I I like. But ultimately, I'm very glad that you liked this movie because I I want you to go and watch more Hammer. Which brings me on to the next thing. Usually I talk about the news, but since we already have 17 things you missed in WandaVision dominating the news... Yeah, that's it, really. I mean, WandaVision was great. Yay, that's fine. But, you know, that's the news, isn't it? What are some great Hammer horror films that you recommend I check out after this one? Well, obviously, The Curse of Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula, the first Frankenstein, the first Dracula ones. You can watch the other Dracula ones as well. I mean, the other Frankenstein ones aren't as good as the other Dracula ones. You can go for one of my, I think, probably Dracula Prince of Darkness is a really good sequel as well. I also like the satanic rites of Dracula. Dracula AD 1972 is notoriously bad. Um, Sounds fun anyway. Taste the blood of Dracula isn't isn't bad. Really, I'm I'm more I'm more into the Dracula movies than anything else when it comes to Hammer. To uh, to be honest with you, that sounds like an infomercial. Taste the blood of Dracula. That's what it's called. That's what it's <laughs> called. They've all got phenomenal titles. Um, I think Dracula: Prince of Darkness is probably the best sequel though, uh, from since the original one. Um, but certainly go and watch those. You can also like watch the slightly less horror 
things like, I really like Hammer's Hound of the Baskervilles, where Peter Cushing Ooh, and Sherlock Holmes. No, that's that's something I could definitely get into. I, I hope I hope these are all on Prime, and they probably will I think be. A few, yeah, I, I think a few of them are. I hope they're for free on Prime because I don't mind renting, but I don't want to do it every time I have to pick a movie for this. No, I think a I think a good few of them are. I think a good few of them are. Um, Christopher Lee's Henry Baskerville in that. Um, basically, they're all Lee and Cushing anyway. Um, you you, uh, you mentioned the Abominable Snowman. Hammers the Abominable Snowman before we start. It just got, got, it. It got I mean, advertised at the end of this. Go and watch that. It's ridiculous. Go and watch so. that if you want. You can go and watch the, the Gorgon, which is a Hammer movie, which, you know, like a Gorgon like Medusa. That's, that's there. I do like my Greek mythology. But then... I mean, you can you can kind of move away from Devil Rides Out. I like the Devil Rides Out. You can move away from directly Hammer and just kind of go with, just follow Leon Cushing into other things as well. If you want to watch uh, Lee Cushing and Vincent Price together in their slightly older years, watch House of the Long Shadows. I like that movie from the early eighties. Um, that's fun. But then when did Peter Cushing pass away? Peter Cushing passed away in I think about nineteen eighty eight. Okay, so because I was just imagining like if him and Christopher Lee did a lot of things, hell of a lot. He would he he would have been in Lord of the Rings if he was alive. I mean, he would have been about one hundred and ten or something like that. He was much older than Christopher Lee. He was much older than Christopher Lee, um, which is, it's funny. It's a funny thing to think about, isn't it? Like Christopher Lee being the young one of a certain he, group he could of been, people. Could have been a Bond villain. Could have been a Bond villain. He could have been a Chris, Bond villain. Christopher Lee was one of the more underrated Bond villains. Yeah, you're quite right. You're quite right. But look, the, there's so much to go into. Start with those main. Other two, though. The first Frankenstein, the first Dracula one. But then go and watch that documentary that I said before, that flesh and blood uh, history of Hammer Horror or whatever, it's something like that. Um, that's really good. That'll give you a better overall picture of the history of that uh, wonderful horror movie production company. I watched it this Halloween as like a Halloween morning treat. I remember doing that. Halloween morning tree. I like that. That's a good idea. But yeah, go and do that. That is what that is my recommendation. There you go. Thank you. Lovely stuff. Well, are we going to call it there, Nolan? I believe we are. Well, there we go, guys. This has been episode 144 of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. We've had a nice, fun little discussion on Hammer Horror and 1959's The Mummy. Maybe we'll do some more Hammer Horror in the future. I would like to. I would like Nolan to see some more of it. I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that he, he wants to see more of it. This is good news for me, because it might bring him on to kind of other uh, eras in the genre as well. What's an era of horror that Nolan hasn't delved into a lot that he may want to delve into after Hammer. Nolan, can you answer that? I am not watching Witchfinder General again. Oh, but why? So good. More folk horror. More folk horror for Nolan. I I did see Midsommar recently, so... This is exactly... Yeah. You, you, and you were, you were very, very unsettled by Midsommar. And that was very, a movie. You were very unsettled by Witchfinder General. I mean, the Wicker Man, are you unsettled by the Wicker Man? I would like to see the original Wicker Man. Then watch the original Wicker Man. I, I don't think you'll be as unsettled by that, but I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it. Um, you could also, if you're going for folk horror, if you're going for the original wave of folk horror, also watch Blood on Satan's Claw. That's a good folk horror movie with a phenomenal title. Um, so, sounds like a name of a heavy metal album. I'm into it. Does it, it does? Um, and then obviously, 
the slight new wave of folk horror we've gotten with Midsummer and the Witch and um, folk. I mean, no, no, whatever that's Ari Aster's gonna do next. Possibly, possibly. I'm just trying to think of other modern folk horror. The Isle. That's a good movie. Uh, very small movie came out a few years ago now, maybe three years ago now. Um, Would the lighthouse sort of, count? I don't. The lighthouse isn't a folk horror. It doesn't deal with religion. No, it's more mythological. It doesn't deal with religion. You kind of have to deal with some sort of religion to be a folk horror. Um. That's just how that works, unfortunately. Um, the Lighthouse is, is a psychological horror um, in, in the best way. But yeah, The Isle as well. Go and watch The Isle. There's, my folk, there's my folk horror um, recommendations as well. Yes. Lovely. There we go. Episode 144 of the main show. It's a wonderful podcast. Thank you, everybody for listening to our nice little showing of love to Hammer Horror. It's been exciting. It's been fun. Nolan, I'm going to start off with you. Where can the good people find you? Where's all your stuff at? You can find me at NolanDean27 on Twitter, at NolanDeanWriter on Instagram, and at NolanDean on YouTube. You know what I'm working on now? A oh. new book, because mm-hmm. I've just submitted to Author Mentor Match, and I need a distraction to stop me looking at the hashtags to see if I've been picked. <laughs> uh... So I uh, this I know what people are gonna say when I say this, but like this is nothing to do with WandaVision, but I've wanted to do a simulated sitcom story for a while now. So I'm doing that for like a middle grade okay. audience. And okay. it'll be like a middle grade version of the Truman show that's very funny. Okay. Okay. So I've just been watching a lot of sitcoms, looking for their tropes, seeing what ones I can make fun of. I want to have like recasting jokes where a character shows up looking completely different and no one notices. Have you been watching very old sitcoms? Oh, I've been watching the Dick Van Dyke show Lovely. on Prime. I've been trying to watch Bewitched, but I can't find it anywhere. Uh, I don't know if this really counts as old, old, but I've been watching Faulty Towers on Netflix because oh, it's just hilarious. Of course it does. Yeah, lovely. Brilliant. The, the I don't know how you could make just someone reading off three Duck on Trace hilarious, but that show does. It does. It makes everything hilarious, Faulty Towers. It is truly one of the best. Um, big fan. Love that. Good stuff. Enjoy it well, guys. It's a wonderful podcast, the main show. This show, of course, is not the only show you can find on this podcast feed. We have Machine Mondays every Monday with Janine the Machine talking all her schmodown things. We also have Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday with me and Janine. I haven't seen things. Janine makes me watch things. That's the fun of that show. We're on a presidential movies series, you know, to celebrate the changing of a president. Yes, we did a we did a watch along of Air Force One. We've actually got a watch along coming up this weekend, uh, this Sunday, Sunday the twenty fourth. Um, I think it's Sunday the twenty fourth. I, I can't remember the date. Um, on coming to America, as as a as a world leader movie, because I've actually never seen that, so I may join you. Please join us. Please join us for a coming to America watch along. But the best place to uh, to find out. All the links to that is, of course, uh, on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. That is the podcast Twitter. Um, but Machine Mondays, Morgan hasn't seen It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. We've got you covered Monday, Wednesday, Friday here on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. And you can find that podcast feed everywhere. That is Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and everywhere else podcasts can be found. We also, of course, have the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one check out that find the tier that may be right for you there's a whole bunch of fun stuff that we do over on the patreon find the tier that's right for you over there if you would like to support us there or just you know share this around tell your friends all that good stuff it's fun if they want to hang out and celebrate those wonderful older movies that we just love so much come here to win a wonderful podcast and we will deliver on that well like amazon we will deliver no matter no matter what no matter what 
no matter how evil we will deliver anyway uh there you go there you go guys thank you for listening and now i will say goodbye and ask nolan of course in his best peter cushing impression to see us out i'm gonna have to disappoint you because i can't do a (laughs) peter cushing impression (laughs) but i will say get hammered and enjoy these movies Bye. That's not a more falling towers. That's Jesus. lovely. That's lovely. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> hey.